So Lord, I just want to thank you that you speak to us as clearly today as you always have done. And I pray that we will hear your voice and always follow your leading. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, you've probably heard uh, some people express hesitation about committing their lives to the Lord, to the Christian life. And you may have hesitated yourself at some point, not because of what salvation offers, but because there's an innate awareness that a change of heart will inevitably change your life. It suggests giving up something you really enjoy, whether it's good or not. Well, back in the 70s, young people were concerned that they'd have to stop drinking alcohol, smoking, and going to pubs or nightclubs if they became a Christian. And it's true that many Christian communities frowned on those activities. Yet the transformation, the transformed rather, as Saul went public with his changed heart, promoting the very Christianity he previously sought to eradicate. And as a result, verse 22 says, he grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. Those who heard him asked, isn't he the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on this name? You see, his reputation as a hater preceded him. Jews knew him as a leader of the persecution against Christians. And Christians knew he was to be feared. Now, I remind you that Saul was a respected teacher among the Pharisees. And as a teacher, he was well-versed in the scriptures and was able to explain how Jesus fulfilled the scriptures that they all cherished. His background as a brilliant scholar gave authority to his arguments. In choosing him, God knew he would effectively spread the gospel, as in fact he went on to do. Now, I was advised to tell people around me immediately after I committed my life to the Lord, and I did, and I'm glad that I did. My news was well received by many, but dismissed and discouraged by some people closest to me. They simply didn't believe God needed to change me. Nice, huh? Or thought I'd got involved in a fanatical sect or cult. It took time, sometimes years, to show them that my conversion was sane, real, and lasting. I believe that God honors us for testifying to faith that we're forgiven and have been given new life in Jesus Christ. In Saul's case, his personal testimony of recognizing the Messiah had come and had saved him caused the Jews to turn the tables on him 
and conspired to kill him. However, the people he terrorized for their new faith not only believed him, but they took him in and protected him and even helped him to escape from the angry Jews. They exercised the amazing grace of forgiveness. But verse 26 tells us it took some convincing among the Christians still living in Jerusalem when he arrived there. When he came to Jerusalem, it says, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he really was a disciple. So Barnabas came to his rescue and introduced him to the apostles, explaining how he had been actively preaching fearlessly in the name of Jesus, verse 27. His acceptance among the established group of leaders spurred him on to move about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. And verse 29 reports that he talked and debated with the Hellenistic Jews. Now those were the Jews who used the pre-Christian Greek translation of the Hebrew text called the Septuagint, and Saul himself was a Hellenist. Verse 29 and 30 reveal more aspects of Saul's character that show why God chose him to go into the world as a successful missionary. He was bold, and he stirred up controversy. He was unafraid of opposition, because he absolutely believed that his redemption made him a new creature in Christ, who meant the world to him. In fact, he wrote in Philippians chapter 1, verse 21, For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. For him there was no turning back, because he knew without a doubt that eternal life in heaven lay before him. It can be the same for us, but so that you don't feel pressured into thinking you all have to become missionary preachers, I should point out that Saul began by simply sharing his personal testimony and talking about what he knew. It took him a few years of further study before he went out into the wide world as an apostle establishing churches. Now, we may be called to do other things. In fact, Paul later teaches an important aspect of the Christian life in Romans chapter 12, verses 6 to 8. It says, We are individually gifted to fulfill the works of service that will build up the body of Christ, the church, and lead unbelievers to be saved. Maybe through prophesying, or serving needs, or teaching, or encouraging, or giving practical or financial help, or compassionately caring and comforting others, or through leadership, which Paul said should be conducted in a cheerful manner. Now, these are often referred to as the motivational gifts, which actually describe 
our natural God-given inclinations in how we relate to other people. We all have different approaches. Some may have more than one obvious gift that Paul lists in chapter 12. Some may have only one, but each person is important and has a role to play. The gifts are shared among believers with the express purpose of creating unity and enriching the church, the family of God, so that we'll be able to warmly welcome in new believers. As with all the talents God gives us, we are to use them in a way that bears fruit for the kingdom of God. Now, Paul certainly bore much fruit through his life. From all that we learn of his life from then on, preaching, debating, or teaching became the focus of his missionary journeys through the Middle East, Asia Minor, Greece, and Italy, including islands of Cyprus, Crete, Malta, and Sicily. We may be direct products of his teaching, preaching, and letter writing. God opened the doors for Paul, and Paul didn't hesitate to courageously walk through them with faith to do whatever God had in store for him. So let's briefly consider now how Jonah responded to God's call. See, Jonah's story was an adventure with crazy twists and turns. He agreed to go where God sent him, but he ran away instead. And it took his being thrown overboard from the ship he thought would transport him transport him away from God's mission and being swallowed by a huge fish for him to come to his senses. Saul was blinded for three days before he launched out on his ministry. It was necessary for him to receive prayer from the relatively unknown Ananias, who was sent to him to regain his sight. Then he was rearing to go. Jonah was in the dark for three days in the belly of the fish that God provided for him. He called out to the Lord to rescue him from the depths and the fish spit him up onto the shore. Uh, Apparently, he learned a valuable lesson about the Lord during his confinement. As verse 8 and 9 say, Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. I will say salvation comes from the Lord. And obediently, he carried out the mission God sent him to do in the godless uh, society of Nineveh. They heard the message, repented, and turned from their sinful ways. But Jonah had the audacity to be upset with their change of heart. 
and so he had to learn yet another valuable lesson. That the same God who saves and sends his people also has the power to remove blessing. So it's not wise to question God's motives or his love for those who may appear undeserving of grace. God wants truly changed hearts that then change lives and lifestyles so that they will bear witness to the extraordinary work of the Holy Spirit in us and through us. Are you open to hear his voice? Are you prepared to find out what God has in store for you? I pray that we will always seek to know what God's purpose is for our lives. Amen.